What up, guys and girls? It's Bobby. And Sean. And we're joined by... Brian. And I'm Pete. Here to answer up, all guys? those questions that you might have uh, about what it takes to be uh, an SF officer, although these two guys were Rangers first and foremost, so that's why we're friends with them. Uh, <laughs> so we won't hold that against them. But we have a bunch of questions that you all submitted uh, that we'll get after. So, so Bobby, uh, you want to start? Yeah, I was going to say, uh, if just Pete and Brian, just real fast, if you guys could just give like a quick, you know, not one-liner, but like a two- or three-liner about kind of where you came from, kind of your experiences in the Army, and then, you know, where you are right now, and then, you know, kind of what you're at in your careers right now. Yeah, no problem. You want to go uh, first? Or? Yeah, I'll go. Um, so, Brian, again, um, I was an infantry officer, uh, was ROTC, and then... Uh, Bullock Ranger 10th Mountain for a real short time and then uh, went to RAS 2 with Sean and Bobby had a great four weeks in the hot Georgia sun and then uh, was with Bobby in Georgia and then uh, from there went to selection and then uh, Q course and then here uh, now as a team leader. Yeah and I had a pretty similar pipeline I, I did ROTC uh, went the infantry officer route. Uh, first unit was 4th Brigade 25th ID in Alaska. Uh, then I did uh, Ranger Bat as platoon leader down at Benning. Brian and I were in the same company. Uh, went to selection, moved to Southern Pines, and yeah, now here I am also as a team leader. So clearly, you know, we have a lot of representation from uh, Ranger Regiment. So a lot of guys yeah. keep asking us, like, what advice that you, that, you know, uh, that you would have for like someone that's coming from the big army to go into the selection, you know, especially like the non-combat arms guys. Um, so just for you guys, any experience with like non-combat arms, you know, going through selection and then, um, kind of the, you know, the big army or, or regular army guys going through SFAS, like how did they perform versus like guys coming from soft already? Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, selection, it's, it's super nuts, just physical fitness you don't really get into any of the higher level um, stuff that maybe you do in the Q course when you could really differentiate. But um, so really, I mean, there could be a big army guy that is way fitter than a dude coming from regiment. So really, at the end of the day, in that first phase, it's really just how fit are you? How fast can you run? How fast can you run with some weight on your back? Uh, and then uh, just being a good dude, team player. Yeah, when it comes to selection in and of itself, there, it really is designed to to not... There is no really great place to shine when it comes to your background. Uh, they're really just testing you, like Brian said, on fitness, and then how, how well can you work with a team, because your peers matter quite a bit there. Um, and it's similar in the, to Ranger School in the sense that you're working with people when they're very exhausted, um, you know, having to be a team player you know, having to demonstrate that you can be a leader in some of the challenges that they put in front of you. But yeah, fitness based and be a good dude and, and you'll just you'll be just fine regardless of where you came from. So we get actually a lot of questions about, um, you know, how to how to kind of differentiate yourself from your peers uh, going through selection. And personally, I think that's kind of not the correct um, approach that you should take to selection in terms of, you know, trying to set yourself apart from your peers and you're, you know, the guys you're going through selection with. So uh, in your guys' experience, uh, did you ever see that, like, guys trying to, you know, try to be in the spotlight, trying to be in the spotlight versus being a team player, and then how did that work out for them? 
Yes, spotlighting uh, won't get you very far because, again, you do peers very regularly and the instructors take them pretty seriously. So uh, anytime I talk to somebody who's interested in SFAS, the biggest thing I say is just be a good guy. Like it, it, they, they don't care if, you're, if you stand out for whatever. As long as you're physically fit and you can work with these guys on a team uh, and you participate just as much as everybody else, you're going to be successful. But spotlighting generally will will be pretty negative for you at selection. Yeah, I mean, I think the, literally the only thing that uh, you could spotlight yourself as is, is any of the physical events. So, I yeah. mean, coming in first or just cr- like getting a course re- or whatever that may be, just really performing at a high level there. Other than that, um, I mean, the biggest thing is helping, helping everyone else out. Um, there's guys from varying backgrounds so you might have a dude that is just wearing the wrong type of socks and that doesn't know how to set his ruck up. <laughs> um, so really just helping those guys out, I think, pays dividends in the long run, especially in a selection environment, as opposed mm-hmm. to trying to answer every question and be the guy that's always like speaking up. Um, or, uh, but yeah, just really like keep saying, just being a good dude and helping everyone out. Now, did either one of you have issues with dropping... Uh, an SFAS packet at regiment or dropping a packet coming from 10th Mountain or 25th to go to RASP? So in the infantry branch, going to regiment is looked very highly upon for anybody above you. So like my commander got credit, right, on his OER for sending somebody to 75th, but leaving the 75th to branch transfer into special forces was generally frowned upon there. Yeah. Uh, so... The platoon leaders that were interested often spoke about like keeping it kind of quiet until it was essentially time to go. Because if you tell your command, "Hey, I'm I want to leave the 75th to go special forces," it's synonymous with saying, "I don't want to be in the infantry. I want to be in a different branch." And to them, they're trying to develop their platoon leaders to be battalion commanders, company commanders someday. So, right. generally speaking, uh, there's some pushback. Uh, for the most part, it's not negative in the sense that people dislike you um, or think it's a it's a bad idea. It just will likely have you moved from your leadership position into a staff role um, it, it, the second you tell them, hey, I'm trying to go special forces. So for the most part, the timing works out to where you can complete a year or even two years as a platoon leader before that becomes public and that's what you want to do. And then it's a pretty seamless rip uh, to go into selection and move over to special forces. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think as long as you have a well thought out plan, I think a lot of leaders will understand if you, if you tell them how it's been a goal of yours or the mission set interests you, um, and, and you and you've shown that you've thought out why you want to go, and you're you're not just it's not a spur of the moment kind of decision. Then I think most people will understand. But yeah, it's you're kind of leaving one club and going to another, so they're obviously. Um, they might try to um, talk you in the stand or make sure that you're doing it for the right reasons, understanding how it's pretty much a permanent switch. Um, but yeah, as long as you have it well thought out and you have a plan, um, I think, yeah. Yeah. And that being said, at the higher levels, USASOC as a, as a you know command is trying to get all the all the different cert, like uh, MOSs to work together more. So. Again, it's not like a super negative thing. Rangers and SF work together downrange, um, and that also goes for civil affairs and psyops. So, you know, it's it, they're trying to make it one use of sock club at higher levels. Uh, but you know, the leaving one club to another is a really good analogy. 
By the way, real quick before we start, all of us are wearing hats, but I think it's important to see at least some flow, because uh, that's that's one of the big things that people know that when you go SF, you get to have you know longer hair. Bobby and I are yeah. are not. We're in student mode right now, so you know this is this is law, Sean. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's let's see what what group guys the, me- have. the medical medical Bobby I think might have the best. Mine's dude. If Not I that great. if I get yeah. one of these ponytails like Bobby's going, I'll be like the most karate kid looking freaking redhead you've ever seen. Dude, P, I think your hair is longer than mine. I think it is, bro. <laughs> it is definitely longer than mine. Although yeah. I I do remember Bobby in regiment having hair that could go almost to his nose. Yeah, so that I was. Uh, he's always rocked the long uh, kind of top part, but. Yeah, definitely pushed the envelope a little bit too much, uh, I would say. <laughs> I'm jealous of y'all's mustaches. That seems to be a memo that I missed, dude. I'm just happy, Bobby, I think you can see it. I can see it in myself right now watching the screen back, but, like, I don't know, like, Tom Selleck, that's that's the vibe that I'm getting yeah, at yeah, a minimum. Yeah, I can see that, yeah. Maybe the guy from The Big Lebowski. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thanks, Yours is nice. Yeah, yeah, Thank you. It's, it's blonde. Get the fuck out of here. It's a nice blonde mustache. <laughs> it's in regs. Yeah. yeah, and it's, it is blonde. You don't, you don't see yeah. too many good blonde stashes. Yeah. It, yeah. Keep them coming. Come on, come that could be like one of the most, the, the, the greatest things we get out of this whole pandemic is the facial hair game is about to grow strong. Yeah, just across right. America as a yeah. whole. Yeah. You know, I need to start doing my mustache here soon. You know why I have it? In fact, we should reschedule. We should do this again sometime and I'll come back with a big burly redhead mustache. Yeah. That's that's what keeps you and the doctor can confirm this. Mustaches keep the natural particles of yeah. the pandemic from getting in my mouth. It's basic science. Or my nose. Yeah. You don't have to wear a face mask if you have a long enough stash too. Yeah, exactly. I read that in an established medical journal. That's why they call it a nose broom. <laughs> I guess you can make the argument for the the facial partially protecting you. Thank you. But uh, Thank that's you. not Pat- the... Uh, we'll patent it. I, I can draw up the patent paperwork. Uh, you provide the science. Yeah. And then we'll use these two uh, yeah. very sexy individuals that have no facial hair right now... Test it. ...to be the test subjects. Yeah. The controls. I, I will yeah. say I'd like to see, you know, the leaders of our cities and our nation to start talking more about facial hair, uh, you mm-hmm. know, in line with these the, the more talk about face masks, you know? Yeah. Because we can do something. We can We can make a difference, and that is to make beards and mustaches... You know the thing, a thing, a better thing, and we we can transition this facial hair conversation again. SF loves their hair and loves their yeah. facial hair, especially uh, when you get into Afghanistan, and I'm, I'm uh, sure when you go to you know Europe on those rotations. But <laughs> have you either of you had you know success growing out beards yet, or preparing oh, no, to grow out beards? Terrible. I look like Joe Dirt, man. Like it is. <laughs> <laughs> if I walked out of this room. And walk back in two hours, I'd have a small beard already. I, my beard grows very quick. That's and they, they do, like, you know, it's similar to battalion in the sense that you, you want to keep your face clean when you're, when you're around work. But in times like this, you, everybody has a beard right now, you know, because that's, they're not, nobody really cares. It's a lot more relaxed when it comes to the facial hair and grooming standards. Well, here, here's a yeah. question then, um, because the three of you are all angry bat guys. Uh, <laughs> For the two of you that went SF, do you think it was a huge benefit for you to go from Ranger Regiment instead of Big Army into the SF pipeline? Um, or do you think if you did it over again, skipping Regiment wouldn't really give you that much of a you know, a head start over some other guys with you know, serving <laughs> within USASOC? That's a good question. You can go first on this one, Brian. Man, I, there's, no, I don't, there's no substitute to like, what you get in Regiment as a young officer. Uh, the exposure you get is equivalent to... I mean, I don't know how to quantify it, but years of experience, I think, outside a regiment um, from 
interacting with senior leaders to some of the schools to the training um yeah i mean i think it's second to none so there's really nothing that would i don't think there's anything that prepares a lieutenant better um yeah and not just infantry guys but across the board the support uh support guys too um the, what you get to experience and work and the people you get to work with and the place you get to go there there's no there's really no other place in the army that does that um at that level at that high level too so not only are you experiencing it but you're experiencing it at probably the highest level that the army has to offer um but yeah i definitely wouldn't trade it it's pretty cool trade it in. yeah no and I, I i couldn't agree more the 75th nothing beats that experience and it really shows when you start getting into uh when you're doing the Q course, you start getting into a small team environment, uh, both NCOs that have come from the regiment and officers that have come from the regiment. It's a pretty significant difference in what they understand about planning operations, the targeting cycle, um, how to utilize and task assets, things like that are night and day. Um, so yeah, coming from the 75th will definitely set you up, but I don't think just for special forces, I think it's anywhere you go in the army and the civilian world, the 75th does like the greatest job of setting up young officers with a ton of responsibility and a ton of knowledge going into whatever they decide to do next. That was a good answer. Yeah. Yeah, I would definitely echo what both of you guys said in terms of, I just remember like just on deployments alone and being in the jock on deployments and being able to talk and, you know, liaise with all these different assets, being able to talk with different agencies, like government agencies through, you know, different uh, tiered elements as well. I think it's just, like, a great experience. Like, I remember, like, uh, after you brief an MLAT brief, like, there's nothing else that's going to yeah. – nothing that's going to be worse than the MLAT brief. Yeah, man. And my very first ex- – I, I came to regiment uh, when I showed up. The battalion was forward. So I, I went mid-row and worked in the jock on the night desk, um, which is a pretty minuscule job for lieutenant in regiment. But what I got out of that still carries over today when – or in the Q course specifically when, when they start trying to integrate – these assets that typical typical uh, regular army officers don't have experience working with. So in these planning scenarios that we'll put together, my experience from just being in the jock for two months was carrying over for how you could task these assets and what they're what they're good at, what their uh, strengths and weaknesses are, and things of that nature. Yeah, I thought that was huge. I, I was the night battle too. Yeah, um, got over there mid row, and then when I went back as a platoon leader on a deployment, it, it like it made a huge difference. Yeah, seeing the upper echelons work and support, you know that that single task force element that was out, um, makes you really appreciate too when when you get out there exactly what's back supporting you, um, you know uh, behind the fence, and so I, I think that's awesome, especially what you guys echoed with coming from the 75th, getting exposure to that because uh, they didn't say it in their intro, but both of them got to do deployments uh, with the 75th as, as PLs and. Um, then going to SF, I'm sure with you know getting to be familiar with those assets ahead of time, ahead of all those peers, like that. Yeah. That's got to make a huge difference in a you know with the learning yeah. curve. It, absolutely. No, go ahead, Brian. Well, I, was gonna, I <clears> think it, it too. When you're in regiment, you don't realize like maybe how good you have it. Just for instance, a, a training event, a live fire training event. In one live fire, you'll probably have two by eight six little birds maybe an AC-130, probably some artillery or mortar uh, support. Mm-hmm. Um, you probably will have at least one or two ISR platforms. And this is just in a singular live fire training event, maybe just for a platoon. Yeah. Um, and then talking to other people in the military, 
that amount of support is like unheard of in most areas in the military in terms of just a training evolution. Mm -hmm. Um, and the reps you get at that as a young lieutenant, I think are some of the big things that are really, you don't get anywhere else. And we just, we just went through our live fire iterations here on Fort Carson. Um, and having that exposure, I was able to try to coordinate that stuff, but it's, it's damn near impossible to get that even, um, as an SFODA trying to do that, trying to go through live fires. So, um, the amount of assets you work with and (laughs) what each one of them does as a GFC or as a fires guy, whatever you're doing in regiment, the exposure you have is so much more when it comes to what you can bring to a fight. And then carrying over, just when you're playing your training as a detachment commander in SF, like I, I know what to ask for, or I know what I want my guys to be trained on. Whereas a lot of, a lot of other people just don't know what's out there. Um, they don't know what they can ask for or, or what type of assets a special operations unit could end up utilizing when they're, when they're downrange. So in that time period between when you guys finished SFAS and you're successful and you've got like a couple months before you head to the Q course, what were like what are the top three things that you would focus on as a guy that's now been identified to, you know, be a potential Green Beret um, and to, you know, prepare for that lifestyle? Uh, I mean, I really think physical fitness still is huge. You're still like a small unit leader. So that is like still one of the big things. I mean, uh, I would work on that a ton still. You, you might have some time off or you might be still working on staff or something. So just staying involved in that. Um, and then uh, you can do there. I think there are some like reading lists that Swift puts out sometimes. Um, or you can get ahead um, on your like career course. Uh, if you're an officer, um, maybe some of the reading for that, understanding like MDMP, if you've never really um, kind of dealt with that whole decision-making process. But yeah, I think a lot of it, besides work and, and, and making sure you're still involved in your old job, just like self-development, so physical fitness, and then reading, whether it's for personal enjoyment or professional. Yeah, no, I have nothing to add. I agree. Dope. Yeah. Dope. <clears throat> So I was going to say, could you guys just give a quick, I guess, like timeline of going from kind of uh, dropping your packet for selection, going to selection, how long selection is, then kind of that period between uh, post-selection after you get selected and before you start the pipeline and kind of how long the pipeline is, just a quick overview. Um, it's definitely a constantly evolving yeah. timeline. Yeah, that's a complicated question. Yeah, I can <laughs> I'll give let Brian you, give his two cents and I'll do mine. I'll, I'll, I can talk on like kind of what my timeline was and I, it doesn't change too much, couple months. Um, but yeah, you'll get an email usually from uh, HRC, uh, yeah. Human Resources Command, and they'll tell you, hey, your year group, this is specifically for officers, obviously, your year group is open for uh, applying to selection. Um, and then I, I want to say for in-service NCOs, it's, they can kind of, they, they're on more of like a rolling admissions basis. Um, but officers, because our timelines are so tight, um, there's a certain year where you can apply. And then uh, you apply and you get a date. I think it's probably like a year out-ish. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then... Uh, you get your selection date, you get packing list, just like any normal army school, uh, and then uh, reporting instructions. You show up 
uh, when we went, I think selection was three weeks. Yeah. Three or four weeks. Something like that. Yeah. Three or four weeks. I think it changes. Just three weeks. Um, but yeah, yeah, three weeks. And then um, post-selection, obviously, um, if you're selected, you'll get uh, on orders. Uh, right now, With if you're like a situation like now, obviously, it'd be delayed. But I think it's usually about a month or two mm-hmm. depend and then it's also dependent on your personal um kind of situation do you have kids in school family uh and they'll work around that and then uh, it's a normal pcs to fort bragg uh north carolina and then uh you start your the, the q course now the q course is where you branch off in, in your various mos's obviously the medics the deltas are going to take much longer um, than the other mos's um I can, we can probably really only speak super intelligently on the alphas, but, um, I think all, I was at Bragg for, I think like 23 months. Yeah. Um, there's random course breaks, but you can expect, I think they're shortening it now. They're trying to, they're optimizing it. So it's probably a little shorter. Um, but, um, yeah, probably between 18, about 18 months now, probably. Yeah. Um, as long as you go straight through now. There's injuries that could make you recycle. There's academic recycles. But, um, yeah, as long as you go straight through, probably about 18 months. Yeah. And that's when I tell, again, when I talk to, like, young officers that are looking to go SF, basically, uh, if you're you're coming from the regular Army, uh, you're looking at generally your three-year mark at the regular Army that you're looking at going to selection and move to the Q course. Uh, For me, having gone to regiment, I did, um, you could give or take a month here and there, but I, I did one year in the regular Army, two years in the 75th, and then I moved to Fort Bragg. Um, one thing I did not know about the Q course was that it's it's broken up in a series of schools that are not necessarily streamlined. So uh, Brian briefly mentioned that there's, there's course breaks, but depending on when you go, you could have pretty long course breaks. So I did the career course and then had three months before the first part of the Q course. Um, it was a two-year just about minimum for, for everybody going through the Q course, Delta's been with an additional year on top of that, so almost three. But the optimization's already been implemented to where now it's, I think it's about 18 months. They've, they've shortened a bunch of stuff. They've cut some things. Um, so they're trying to make it shorter because feedback they're getting from guys is that it's such a long process to go become an SF guy that that's a, uh, you know, kind of a determining factor for whether or not they want to go. Um, and something I can, you know, an example that we can give is I've got buddies now that are on their second year of company command and transitioning to higher level jobs in their respective branches, but I'm still in my first year of team leader time because you lose a lot of time to, to training. So I was also in Bragg for, you know, just over two years. Um, and if you, if I were to actually count the months, like six months of that was dwell time in between courses. Um, and and when, when you're at Bragg, uh, like, heard the rumors like free fall for all mm-hmm. like what what schools are available to you um and that you can like try out for yeah so that that's also something that's changing it's super dynamic so recently there was a free fall for all uh when i went i was one of the last classes to where every every single guy that finished language they would push to mff but because they tried to push that without really expanding the scope of the school uh mff that is now that now it's an oml based deal so you're competing throughout the q course to get the MFF slot. Um, dive school was recently opened as an option to go in the Q course. I just went to dive school 
uh, this past November, and there was a couple Q-Course guys there, but they just turned that off again. So it's kind of like a fluctuating deal where you'll have the option to go to schools you know, at, at one point, and then they'll take it away. They used to do a, a ranger school option where as soon as you graduate, they would send you to ranger school. Um, they stopped doing that, but that doesn't mean that it's done forever. It literally fluctuates month by month. So we were just fortunate in that we, we got to go to free fall after the Q course. Everybody went. Yeah. Um, not saying that I wouldn't have made that old mail or, or whatever, but. Yeah. <laughs> and I think once you're done with the Q course, too, then you, you kind of more so belong to your gaining unit, whatever group that yeah. is. So then that's a, that's a conversation between you and, and, and your boss and your, and your new battalion or group. And if they have a requirement for additional schools, um, they can send you. Yeah. On, on basically their dime. Um, but yeah, like Pete said, it's ever-changing. Um, yeah. What they do do a really good job, though, of is, especially once you've applied for a selection, there's an open dialogue between, even if you haven't passed selection yet, there's a pretty open dialogue between you and the HRC uh, branch manager. So if you have questions... Even if you haven't gone to selection yet, he can give you the latest and greatest PowerPoint deck on, hey, this is what it looks like for, for right now, just because it is, it is changing um, and information becomes old pretty quick. Yeah, and I will say the one caveat I'll have or I'll add is that if you express interest, especially as an officer to go to ranger school, uh, that's almost a guarantee for you. Um, as an enlisted guy, if you want to go to ranger school and you express interest and you get after it early, I can almost guarantee they'll send you to ranger school, whether it's Fort Bragg and, and Swick sending you or your gaining unit. And then dive school is also uh, an extremely challenging school that it's not one that just anybody can pass. So if you express interest in dive school, uh, you'll most likely get a slot to that. Uh, dive teams across the force are generally short a couple of combat divers on their team. So they're always looking for more divers so they can fill those billets. Hmm. So I had a kind of quick question for my own edification because I just don't, uh, I'll be honest, I don't know the difference uh, between the different types of teams there are. So I know you have like the, the your dive teams and your free fall teams, but I think that's like the extent of my knowledge as far as like specialized teams go in SF. I was wondering if you guys just teach me a little bit. Yeah, and they, they kind of, the different groups uh, will break down each company in a manner that's kind of synonymous across the group. So uh, where I work right now, our, uh, our first team, so team one is a... Uh, what do they call it? A ruck, just a ruck team? Yeah. You know, so they're like a general purpose. General purpose team. Uh, yeah. You'll hear them called ruck teams. Sometimes they'll call them DA teams. Um, but it's essentially a general purpose SF team. Uh, team two, uh, a team that you'll typically have in any SF company, is a mobility team. Uh, and in Colorado, they do a lot of snowmobile work, but they were also on cool. ATVs, yeah. M Razors, and that goes. Uh, up to they just were down in uh, I want to say Nevada doing a non-standard you know using Hiluxes and pickup trucks. Their focus is mobility specifically with vehicles. The three team here is a mountain team. So just about every SF team has a mountain team. Um, they focus on high angle stuff, climbing, high angle marksmanship, high angle rescue. Um, then you've got uh, the four team is Halo. The five team is the dive team, and then the six team uh, used to be. An ASO, you know, kind of like low-vis ops team, but that's turned more into a general purpose, you know, a general purpose team now. So the big ones are mobility, mountain, free fall dive, uh, and then typically two general purpose teams or rough teams. That's pretty cool. And how do they decide uh, when new 18 alphas show up, like what team you get assigned yeah. to? Well, typically if you're 
in a, like a top tier fitness level, they'll they'll send, they'll try to send you to a dive team. That's again the hardest one to fill because it's very difficult for guys to pass dive school. Or if you show up with it. Yeah, or if you show up with yeah. a dive bubble. Um, I didn't show up with a dive bubble, but I wanted to go to dive school. Um, you know, I expressed interest in it. I was, I'm confident in the water, uh, so they put me on a dive team and then sent me to dive school a few months later. Hashtag fit. Yeah, <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that. Not sitting next to you okay. guys. Um, Ryan's got a. Yeah. Oh yeah. Hashtag fit. Fit before hashtag. Yeah, <laughs> hashtag. I'm trying to keep up with you guys. Um, the Halo team, uh, in my experience, everybody wants the Halo team, and especially when everybody was going to freefall, everybody showed up freefall qualified. So that was more of a luck deal. And then the rest of it is kind of, it's luck and timing, and that, that goes for dive teams too. It's really luck and timing. And, and if you really fight for something, I'm, I believe that in the military, if you want something and you fight for it, you'll mo- you'll get it, as long as you're competitive and, and you work for it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, being vocal and having candid conversations with your leadership of kind of what, because at the end of the day you're in charge of your own career. Um, yeah, it's a the army's a big bureaucracy, and you can come on orders whenever. But being in charge of your career is huge, uh, especially once you get in a small environment like in the seventy fifth or or in SF. Um, you can you can kind of shape. Um, shape your career but you have to be prepared for it so if you really want to be dive team leader um make sure you're in the pool so when you show up day one and you say you want to be a dive team leader and they're like okay great we can get you on a plane next week or you can start pre-dive next week yeah you're not caught flat-footed having Mm -hmm. not been training so just make sure you're prepared but yeah definitely avenues to kind of shape shape what you want to do um, and, and kind of follow your interests. And dive school is where? Key West. Key West. <laughs> the wonderful yeah. Key West. Could Florida. be you. And all your yeah, weekends are free. Me. So, <laughs> I was in yeah. Key West in November for Fantasy Fest, dude. Um, I've, I've experienced too much Key West at this point. Yeah, Bobby, <laughs> there's always need for dive medical officers, too. So, I mean, I would love to have the opportunity to go to, to dive school, but uh, this dude sings like a rock, and I can only hold my breath for like 20 seconds. <laughs> dude, you don't, have to, you don't, you don't have to be a diver to go be a dive medical officer, though. Yeah, and when you come out here to Colorado, we'll do a little high-altitude camp. <laughs> high-altitude under the water. Yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. water weighs more at altitude, yeah. and so there's less oxygen, too, so it, it's twice as much dive, actually, for you. So that, that means I can hold my breath for 10 seconds now instead of 20 seconds. Yeah. Well, if you start working now and on your drive, you might be able to <laughs> Yeah, Bobby, hold your breath for the next two minutes. We're going to pump those numbers up. What, um, when you guys are talking about the Q course and you know you had about like six months lag time yeah. and people show up without Ranger tabs, uh, we get a lot of questions uh, from individuals that are both uh, infantry officers um, and then throughout the regular conventional army about what percentage of people going through the Q course were already Ranger qualified um, especially with the within the infantry realm, yeah. And then, what percentage would you say uh, were ranger qualified, like in general? Well, officers, it's it's most. I'd say. Yeah. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah I'd say most. There's a few, yeah. maybe like an MI guy, or I went with or, a transportation officer. I was on a Q course the whole time with him, and he hadn't had his ranger tab. Yeah, yeah. Um, across the entire formation, uh, I would say it's pretty. I don't know. What do you think? Like. It's low. Yeah, it's pretty low. Especially, I mean, obviously uh, the ATM X-rays. Yeah. There's going to be zero of them now yeah. that unless they had a break in service. I'm going to say not even twenty percent. Oh yeah, probably way less. Um, you definitely, yeah. I would say, as an NCO in the Q course, you stand out. 
oh, if yeah. you have a ranger cap. Big Not time. only with the students, but the cadre will look to you um, for being like a class leader or especially in like the small unit tactics phases, uh, being an SME or, or already knowing kind of the knowledge base, they'll look to you to maybe even help teach some classes um, or, or being that uh, kind of small element leader that's able to um, help some of the new guys or yeah. guys that really just don't have much kind of small unit infantry experience. Yeah. I will say if you if anybody listening is interested in going special forces, you should also be just as interested, if not more, in going to Ranger School. Yeah. I think Ranger School is the most important course that exists in the military, uh, and I think it applies to absolutely every MOS. Um, but if you want to be a Green Beret and you can show up with a Ranger tab, that's great. But uh, any anybody that shows up to you know into our company that doesn't have a tab, I always ask, do you want to go to Ranger School? And the guys that are like, hell yeah, I want to go to Ranger School. Those are the ones that typically are standing out right from the get go, um, well, and it, it's a, it's a huge advantage. Yeah, I would say too. Even if, obviously in regiment where it's a very high percentage, but in SF too, you work with a partner force wherever you are in the world. That Ranger tab, along with the SF tab, the Green Beret, there's a few things that are like recognized around the world as like someone that you, just instant kind of credibility. Um, and obviously the ranger tab is one of those that Absolutely. it's hard to probably name an army that you would work with that guys don't have the knowledge of the U.S. Army Ranger School. So, um, yeah, it's just another one of those kind of cred builders, not only here in the U.S., but wherever you go in the world. Um, that uh, and, and, and on top of that, especially in SF, there's a lot of international students that go to ranger school too. So that's an instant kind of rapport builder too. Yeah. If especially a partner force commander, if they've gone the ranger school, they're going to automatically gravitate to those ranger school grads, um, just because it was probably a defining experience in their life, um, and then they kind of want to share, just meet guys again that that had that same same experience. So definitely highly recommended. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say is that I don't know Brian about your experience, but for me, nothing tested me as much as the way I was tested at Ranger School. Uh, so coming into the Q course, when they do try to put you in the, the challenging situations that you're, that you're in, nothing is as challenging as, as Ranger yeah. School. Um, so it just gives you that much of a leg up. Uh, and that being said, if you go to the Q course without a Ranger tab, most guys do that, uh, but you should still strive to go do it after. Well, I think 7th group is like required officers to, one, if they didn't have a tab when they yeah, showed up, they had, they had to I had a couple buddies that showed up and then were pretty quickly sent to Ranger School. Yeah. Well, so you, you talked about the the testing that you know mm-hmm. you felt at Ranger School, having gone through RASP two SFAS Q course Ranger yep. School, um, and understanding that they're all completely different. Uh, what would you rank as like the most like challenging like physically, and then what would you rank the most challenging and like you know one through four of yep. the mentally challenging? Okay, so you know you're just probably different than mine. I'll go first. You yeah. know, uh, Ranger School is the most challenging thing mentally and physically that I think you can do in the Army. Um, and that, I think that speaks to itself. After that, um, I had a really challenging seer school experience uh, because it was winter and pouring rain. So our infill was one of the gnarliest things I've ever done. It was like a 20-mile ruck with very limited supplies. Like We had like one poncho per team. Um, that was kind of tough. Uh, and to be honest with you, going into seer school, I thought it was going to be a lot more weak than it was. Like the, the, the school itself is pretty well put together. And they do a pretty good job of getting guys into a, I'm a prisoner of war mindset. Um, 
I think RAS 2 was probably the most professional uh, schooling I've ever been to in my life. Um, I came out of RASP2 with a different understanding, uh, a higher level of understanding of special operations. And I don't know what you guys did at RASP2. We did like a pistol range, and my shot got so much better yeah. in a single day. It was out of control. Yeah. Uh, I, I will never forget. I don't remember the name of the two NCOs that taught it. Uh, but you have a whole bunch of dudes who shoot pistol very little in the conventional army. And, you know, it's kind of hard to get nine mil. But those guys took us to a different level. Um, so professionally, professionally, I would say that's the best one. Outside of that, everything else is is pretty cut and dry military training. Um, I've been to ranger school, so SUT wasn't much for me. I'm sure people who hadn't been prior would uh, would say that was a pretty tough course, but um, it's no ranger school. Uh, that's three courses. I hope that answers your question. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it just depends on like what part of the career and you do X course. So, I mean, ranger school... I did it, and it was, like, the second course in the Army that I did past Bullock, um, which was basically a pre-ranger. Um, so, yeah, I would probably say that, like, in terms of, like, defining moments, that probably um, was a huge one just because you, you've been in the Army for six months. Um, I was, like, living college life six months prior to that. <laughs> um, so... Um, yeah, definitely Ranger School with defining, and then I think I agree with Pete that RAS two um, with Sean and Bobby here was probably one of the like more memorable, just professional experiences that I'd ever done. Um, y- you never felt like there there was never any like wasted time. Um, I felt like it was a pretty a fair uh, like whole yep. man assessment, um, physically, mentally, psychologically. Um, yeah, I thought it was probably the best put together army course. And I think it was challenging in a different way. Ranger school is challenging, um, just cause it's, you're not eating as much, you're not sleeping that much. It's just a daily grind. RAS 2 is challenging in a way that you were trying to put out a hundred percent every day. The fastest 12 mile you can do, the fastest whatever kind of <laughs> run you can do. So, uh, the fastest medical like hour and a half that Bobby... <laughs> Pointing to Bobby. Yeah. The most uh, bench. The most bench. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you guys probably have the same uh, experience from RAS, too, that it was... At that point in my career, too, I was just so impressed with how a army... The other army courses I'd been to. Yeah. How that course yeah. would run. I mean, for sure. Bob, Bobby and I have talked about it before, and without, like, doxing the instructors, like, but the, the most... You know, as Pete said, the most professional NCOs I'd ever come across. Um, I was so blown away after leaving that course. Like, if that's the the professionalism standard uh, that, you know, the 75th was holding itself to, like, the rest of the Army, I felt, was, yeah. you know, leaps and bounds behind. Because, you know, from day one showing up, like, you weren't getting yelled at. If, if you fucked up, it was in a very respectful manner that they just said, uh, Hey sir, your socks are too low, and you like I felt mortified. Like, I remember that. That was yeah, the, yeah, yeah. that was my first interaction <laughs> with any of the NCOs getting on the bus yeah. after the five mile, and this just jacked up E seven just comes. Well, up. didn't they call you? Didn't you like get on the bus and then they called you back out? They, yeah, they called me back out. I'm like, I didn't run that well. Uh, what's going on? And it's like, so you know what the standards are for socks? And I'm like, Tip. like I remember getting yeah. dressed with with Brian and Bobby and I was like, do you think I can get away with this? Like these, these are the only like really nice looking socks. Yeah. Bobby and I were just trying to thin the herd. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, speaking about the pistol range, uh, we had done, uh, 
fast rope that morning mm-hmm. and I had a hole in my glove and I remember the NCRC came up afterwards cause I'm bleeding through my gloves on the range and they're like, sir, why are you bleeding? I was like, Oh, I, I had a hole in my fast rope. I was like, did you, did you check them before you did? I was like, did you PCC your gloves? I was like, I, I did. I saw the hole. I didn't want to interrupt your, your, your lesson. So I just <laughs> went with it. And like, I had like tore off like part of my, you know, <laughs> skin on three of my fingers on my shooting hand. And I'm just like, just hey, kept a straight face all the time. God, God damn it. Just shoot the gun. Doesn't, doesn't hurt. <laughs> no, it doesn't hurt. hurt. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm strong. I'm strong. They're like, God damn it. This isn't that, this isn't ranger school. Like yeah. you can be vocal. Yeah. No, that's one thing that the regiment does probably better than any anybody else in the military. And the only people I think may have an argument on that is the Marines. But they take very squared away NCOs and put them into those training NCO mm-hmm. positions. Whereas uh, across the force, generally, you'll see the best guys get moved into other leadership roles. Um, the 75th takes really good NCOs and puts them in those training positions. And rightfully so. We have four guys here from the regiment that all speak highly of the NCOs we had in RASP two. You know what I mean? They do that really well. Uh, I think that's a, one of the reasons why they have, you know, better recruiting than most. Yeah. You know, or retention, I should say. So just to pivot really fast, because you guys both um, mentioned that you guys really enjoyed talking, like coming from regiment. Yeah. So then why, what, what I guess drove or motivated you to go to SF versus, you know, go back to regular army and try to come back to regiment again as a company commander? Yeah, I, I mean, it was a very, it was a, definitely a tough decision. Um, I ha, I know when I, I had always been very interested in SF. Um, I got the chance to go to dive school when I was pretty young as a cadet. Um, so that kind of, that was like my first experience with the Army. Uh, but other than that, I, I mean, I think it was just like any decision, just a timing thing. I think at that point um, in my career, I I was still interested in being involved at the small unit level. Um, SF's mission kind of like interested me working with indigenous partner forces, being able to learn a language. Um, So I think all those factors combined and just where timing wise, um, I think it it, at that point in in my career just kind of made, made sense. Um, But yeah, it's definitely kind of one of those, like, I mean, especially with officers, you it's not like you could, hey, I'll, I'll push off a decision until next mm-hmm. year or, or the following year. So um, it's hard, definitely, because it's just this, like, one chance you get. But, um, yeah. Hashtag yeah. M&M. Yeah. Yeah, and I think a, a lot of things that go into that are things that you don't know. So you don't know as much about what SF does until you actually get there. Um, you don't really know that it's not possible to switch back to the infantry until you're, you're older and you're in, you know, in SF. Um, I had a similar experience. I'd always been interested. Uh, by the time, you know, I'm at year two of my battalion time, you know, as officers, you understand that you have a lot of staff time in your future. For me, it was staying at the small unit level also. And then also um, kind of looking at where the wars were going worldwide. Um, I understood that if I if I wasn't able to go to Afghanistan as an SF guy, there's other places you can go uh, where things are happening, and, and that's what interested me. And you know, also working with partner forces or really working with uh, underprivileged populations around the world. That that was kind of like the big thing for me is that there's people around the world that literally don't have the ability to defend themselves from like the most atrocious individuals that exist. Um, and something cool that SF does is they they take people like that under their wing and put them in a position to defend themselves. And when you can actually see the results of that, it's, it's, I think it would be pretty cool. That's awesome. Do you think it's, I was going to say, do you think it's, uh, I guess, smart 
or write for the army to only have this one you only get one time only one time in your career as officers to go to to sf do you think that's like you know the right way to approach it or do you think there should be other options to give guys like more time to mature and then come back to either you know try to come back to assess like what do you guys just your guys personal opinions i'm just curious yeah i mean i think whatever i think the uh, especially in billets or jobs like sf or regiment i think the army we need to do whatever we can do to get the best possible candidate so if the best possible candidate for a job is uh, it if we're limiting it to a certain population, maybe we're not necessarily being open to all the best possible candidates. So I, and I think the Army is looking at, there's definitely initiatives out there looking at ways uh, to kind of make the process, specifically for officers, maybe a little more progressive in, the ter- in terms of allowing guys different entry points into mm, yeah. different jobs. But yeah, I mean, I think whatever, whatever we can do to get the best possible guys in the jobs um, is, is is the best course of action they yeah. can take. No, I agree. And I know for our year group, they extended the selection packet after they'd closed it. So it was like they'd closed the opportunity for 13s to apply and then opened it for an entire year. Um, I can't, you know, come up with a good plan for how we would make it more streamlined, but SF mm-hmm. is also subject to some of the same things that the rest of the Army is, whereas if I were to come in as a major, I'm not going to be a detachment commander. And then being in SF and not having detachment command time is going to make it difficult to do, uh, you know, more time in SF, if you will. Um, so maybe making it so that that entire window where you'd still be a captain and still have the ability to be a detachment commander is all fair game for applying. Uh, that would give more time for guys to apply. Because um, who knows, that could have been the difference for me as if I stayed in regiment for another year year and a half, did infantry company command, then said, hey, maybe I want to go SF now. Yep, that's, Could have been a game changer. You know? That's what I was hoping to do when I when I got to Carson. Uh, like coming from uh, Range Regiment and then being at Triple C, because and we'll talk about the, mm-hmm. the condensed Triple C that you guys went through, but I was like, all right, like I want to walk into command, and then you get there and there's just this, it doesn't matter like where yep. you served or what you did, you just collected a number. And there were individuals that were either your groups ahead of you or that showed up before you that just, you know, they so happened to go the career course before you, and they were automatically slotted for -hmm. these commands. And so I went to SFRE up here with uh, the guard, and because I'd already completed career course, uh, and by the time I had completed SFRE with them, they were like, you've done six years active duty time, and at that time that was like the cutoff uh, for captains to go to SFAS. And then like subsequent, like a year and a half later, I found out that they'd reopened the window um, because they wanted people, but like, I kind of agree with that. Like, you know, you definitely need detachment yeah. time if you want to be a, a company commander. Um, but I, you know, you should maybe be able to maybe prevent your promotion to major at that point. If, yeah. you, if you really want to argue that. Yeah. And, and that's, that's kind of like one of the downfalls just of officership in general, specifically in the army is that you are subject to timelines. And, and there are a lot of guys, myself included, that'd be perfectly happy being a captain as a commander for a very long time. You know, it's just, mm. that's just not the way it works. Um, they did do uh, promotion deferment now, but I haven't seen an example yet where that means like, oh, I don't want to be a major, so I'll stay as a detachment commander. What typically that means is, oh, you're not going to be a major, so that's perfect. We'll leave you in the AS3 shop, you know, in the AS3 section for, for even longer then. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if that's something the Army will ever work out, but there's definitely guys amongst us that just want to be at the small unit and lead, and, and we'll do that for a very long time, but it's just not the way it works for those. Yeah, like in my mind, like just thinking about it from like a you know top perspective or not from an outside perspective, I just wonder like, you know, like you just, like Sean was saying, like if you had like a 
a junior cap post career captain um, that dropped a packet and then you know like reset their timeline almost like gone back in time yeah. with the officers. I wish that that was an option, but absolutely, dude. You know. same, same here. If you could like, hey, I'll just go back a couple year groups and then stay here. If that was you know something that you could do, there's it's a good chance that I would do that just to be a detachment commander a little bit longer. Absolutely. Like I was, I was year group eleven, or at least I thought I was uh, when I commissioned. And then they were like, <laughs> "Oh, by the way, your your date is October third, so you're technically 12. Um, because I'd first applied to SFAS thinking I was year group 11 and then found out like subsequently they know that you're 12. I found that out when I was in Afghanistan on my first deployment and, uh, I got back at hood and they're like, Oh, by the way, uh, we're going to Korea in like six months, uh, for, you know, for a nine month rotation. And I was like, uh, so if I went SF, I'd have to go to, I'd have to go to Korea. Fuck that. Like, no way. Like, <laughs> I was watching the NCAA tournament for lacrosse and, there was, uh, you know, Duke was in it and they were talking about one of the former Rangers that went to 375. Yeah. And I was, you know, at the time I was watching, I was like, oh my God, that's so hot. And <laughs> so I, the next day I dropped my Ranger packet. I was like, I'm yeah. the fuck out of hood. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's definitely something that it's talked about. And I know a lot of a lot of majors now are doing their, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Their theses and whatnot on, on talent management within SOF. Uh, and within the military as a whole, because it's that there's a there's a regular term in HRC where, or at least at higher levels where my mom works, where they say the army bleeds captains, and we bleed talent because you know good dudes are going to go seek other good opportunities mm-hmm. um, if they don't get exactly what they want, and that's just that's the nature of con- managing your own career, and there is an aspect of the military where as you you can manage it to the best of your ability, um, I think those of us sitting here have been pretty fortunate, but at the same time, you could get absolutely screwed with mm-hmm. and have absolutely no say uh, in what you do just based on what's available. So have you guys seen the, uh, the new army system for like the, uh, the job postings that they have now? Yeah, dude. Have you guys seen that it's at called, all? It's called the aim Two profile for a minute. I thought I would have to do it. So I like met with a bunch of lieutenants that my wife knows so they could show me how to build this profile out. It's kind of ridiculous. It's like Tinder yeah. for jobs. Like you, you select one that you think sounds good. And if they match you, then when it's time for your window to be open, like HRC has to slot you to that if spaces are available. So I know um, the first round of lieutenants just did it, and there was a pretty high success rate for people getting units that they wanted, uh, which is interesting. But in SF, we're not, they're telling us we really don't need to worry about it until you're okay. complete with ILE yeah. and trying, because something else I didn't know about SF is that when you leave to go to ILE, uh, that doesn't mean you come back to group. So there's major billets for Green Berets all over the military. Mm-hmm. So when guys try to come back to group after ILE, it's similar to trying to get back into regiment where you have to like write to people that you know, you have to apply, uh, you have to compete. Uh, just being a major who's been a team leader who goes to say NPS doesn't mean that you're going to come back and be in special forces group again. You could go to USASOC or uh, one of the theater special operations commands or other duty stations. I mean that's a great that's a great point they bring up because um, c- can you guys like kind of walk us through the like eighteen alpha career progression because I mean everyone knows that you know as eighteen alpha you get team leader time but after team leader time everyone's like I don't know what, what do you do after team leader time anymore and, and start with like your your triple C because it's it's three months yeah. right yeah 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 twelve I think it was like twelve weeks yeah it's yeah. short it's twelve weeks and then it's the common core you learn what MDMP is you do some trip leading procedures you do the big diorama. Uh, company op orders mm-hmm. that I'm sure you guys did. Um, it's like arts and crafts again. But no ultimate football. 
Yeah, we don't do ultimate football. <laughs> I, I hate that so fucking much. Like, there, you know that MCCC has lost its step when they invited like all the other branches to go, and I'm talking about armor specific because yeah. those armor captains were all about their ultimate football. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Fuck going to Ranger School, but like Tuesday we've got the game at four. Yeah. Like I've, do you have do you have gloves? Do you have cleats? And you're like, dude, you weigh three hundred pounds. Like, what are we gonna do? Like, no. <laughs> Go to school. Go to Ranger School. Yeah, no, and that's that was. I'd be lying to you if I said that that wasn't a deterring factor for me uh, for staying in the infantry. Is that because I was on Fort Benning, and I saw how serious some of those people took it. I was like, dude, I do not want to be somewhere where I'm so forced to play ultimate football or frisbee. Wait, was it football or frisbee? It's, football. it's like ultimate, ultimate football. It's ultimate because, frisbee with a football. Yeah, yeah. and if because we're athletic, the idea yeah. is that's a team building event, and sure, that's a team building event. But I think there's better team building events that don't require football practice while you're trying to study and learn, you know, maneuver infantry doctrine or just maneuver doctrine. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. sorry, we've already established the SF triple C doesn't have ultimate football to their detriment, uh, clearly, because, you know, these guys are so incredibly unathletic, uh, it probably wouldn't have been good. But so you did uh, the SF Triple C. Yeah, so you do SF Triple C, and then uh, I can really only speak to what that was a couple years ago. But um, after that, you kind of join the rest of the other MOSs in the actual Q course. Um, and then from there, you go uh, usually to SUT. There's, there's sometimes a course in between that that you kind of get a glimpse of what the final exercise looks like. It's called Introduction to Unconventional Warfare. Don't know if that's still a thing, um, but SUT, Small Unit Tactics, so it's, they go right out of the Ranger Handbook, so kind of another plug for already having Ranger School, but right out of the Ranger Handbook, kind of squad platoon level tactics, give everyone the same baseline is really the key to that. Following that, um, everyone goes to the SEER. Um, it's three weeks, and then uh, after SEER, you go to your MOS-specific course. So they split the Alphas, Bravos, Charlies, Deltas, Echoes, and then uh, they're 16-week courses, so four months. Um, for the Alphas, you go, there's two big kind of mods. There's a FID, Foreign Internal Defense mod, and then the next half is the Unconventional Warfare uh, mod and you're doing MDMP field exercises with that and in between you're getting classes on everything from colors of money for how the army gets funded to um, just kind of some LPD yeah. style classes it's I thought the 18 alpha course was for, was, yeah. was a good course specifically the unconventional warfare yeah, part yeah. Um, and then after that you go on to the Final exercise, Robin Sage, where you are a detachment commander, specific for the officers, and you um, lead your little guerrilla force in <laughs> Pineland. Um, and then following that, um, MF, we went to MFF after that, so down in Arizona. And then uh, you usually PCS as an officer, you PCS pretty quickly. Because your timeline, you're you're on the clock at that point, so they want to get you um, to your battalion, to your group, to your battalion, so you can start uh, just being a team leader. Um, 
And then right now, I think, what is it, 18 months is the minimum? Yeah, and there's some changes in there. So, you know, they're starting to get everybody, all MOSs, uh, fit in UW training as well. So um, lots of changes that I I still, you know, I'm not even comfortable speaking as to what the Q course looks like exactly now because the changes were just implemented like one or two courses ago. And um, we've gotten short LPDs on what that looks like, but it's essentially the same thing. The same courses exist. They're just exposing guys to more uh, unconventional warfare and FID training because uh, typically officers were the, the ones that got a bulk of that. And then uh, just trying to streamline it and make it a little shorter. So how about like when you're at, at group, like what is your kind of timeline and career progression at group? So the ideal situation is you show up and you go to a team right away. That's like the standard first job. Uh, the realistic situation is a lot of guys will be company XOs first. Uh, that's something that SF does. Uh, I was an XO for three months until the dive team opened up. Um, and got to go uh, over to Europe as an XO, uh, which was a great learning experience. But uh, they roped that into my team time OER because the standard really is to get your team time done first. Um, so you'll be a team leader for right now, it's, I think it's two years is pretty much the standard. Uh, given the shortage of talent, there, there, there's talk of guys getting three years on a team. But the ideal, you know, kind of like, the best of the best route is you do your team time, which will be 18 months to two years, and then go be the assistant S3 for a battalion, or you're the, um, is it BSC? Uh, yeah. It's BSC. a battalion support company. Yeah, it's basically our HHC. Yeah, yeah it's like an HHC company commander. Um, those are the two, they call them preferred positions. Uh, you'll do that. Uh, there's, there's a myriad of other positions that you can take after your team time, uh, anywhere from working at the group level to getting moved to SWIC to be a career course instructor. Um, they just sent out an email saying that like the, the executive officer for dive school position is opening up. So random jobs all around, but you, I know. I wish that was more oh of a God, highly... Oh, my God, I So, yeah, two, 18 months to two years, then you'll go into either preferred position or some type of staff developmental job and then punch out to whatever ILE you're able to do, which is another changing topic all the time. Um, after that, come back to group as a company or is it staff first? I think, yeah, it probably depends. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of varies. Like some guys, like my company commander went and worked for, uh, JSOC as a staff guy and then became a company commander in SF, uh, spent eight months as a commander. Uh, the new commander coming in, uh, did ILE at the Naval Postgraduate School and is coming straight in to be company command. So once you start to get to the major level, uh, company command from my experience has been, typically eight months or less, and then they move them into uh, higher-level staff jobs, so battalion executive officer or uh, group assistant S3, things like that. Um, from there, the spider web gets so big, it's kind of kind of mm-hmm. hard for me to describe where you could end up. There's a million positions across the Army that you could take, uh, but ultimately to become a battalion commander is pretty, uh, pretty slim road because there's only so many across the force. So like generally speaking, before ILE, you're going to be at the same group essentially talking to pcs you yeah it is possible you could get pcs for one of those like i'm I'm getting close to a window now where uh if they wanted to they could try they could try to move me to uh jrtc because they have a soft element uh that key west jobs available swick jrtc Uh, is the preferred obviously (laughs) obviously you mentioned it first for a reason guys. i mentioned it first because it's my worst nightmare dude There's, (laughs) there's few things in the army that will almost guarantee i get out immediately and getting assigned to jrtc might be one of them yeah, so generally speaking, you're at the same duty station. Um, 
especially if you're if you're a squared away dude, they'll, they'll typically keep you uh, within the battalion until you leave for Eilie. So while you're at group, uh, you guys have access to the four uh, programming yes. and the, the fitness centers. What um, what is the like the huge draw to going and, and doing that? You th- you think, or what's the the big benefit of of that performance center uh, compared to like the CRTF and then what the the regular army has? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's pretty similar. It's mm-hmm. the same exact program that we had at regiment. Mm-hmm. Um, coaches. The gyms look physical therapy identical. Yeah. Besides, the plates don't have little three diamonds on them. They have your group symbol, probably. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's exactly the same funding line that goes there and, and funds that program. Um, so I mean, I, I've taken advantage of it both in regiment and here. It's a great program for whether you're just working out, you need a plan made, um, physical therapy. Um, it's awesome that everything's usually right there, right near where you work. So you can walk over and get some kind of mobility done or, yeah. get, or get a workout in. Um, but yeah, good program. Yeah. I would say, you know, it's, if, if you have it available, take advantage of it. Uh, I think it's awesome. I attribute what I know about physical fitness now to, uh, the gym at, at bat because, you know, I played, sports my whole life through college and, and learn more about fitness, mobility, and exercise from Matt Powell at, at Third Bat than anywhere else I've ever been. Uh, Thor, like Brian said, is very similar here. Um, the, only, the only disadvantage to group versus regiment is groups a lot bigger, so you have a lot more people that try to take advantage of it. Mm. And because of that, you get a little bit more of a less hands-on approach from, from coaches. You kind of have to really make you know, work for that, the, the, you know, the coach, um, athlete relationship and getting personalized programming. Cause typically they'll, you'll show up and their first thought is going to be like, give you a program and tell you to go work out. Whereas a battalion, I specifically remember a lot of guys didn't like working out in the gym because it was small enough to where the coaches would go around and spot check your form and dudes didn't like getting their form spot checked all the time. Uh, whereas it's almost the opposite here where there's so many people that it's, it'd be impossible for the coaches to, to do that. That doesn't mean that I'm, the gym is crowded. There's still, I mean, I've never waited for anything um, at the Thor facility here, but um, my biggest thing with Thor is the mobility, physical therapy, and recovery aspects that they provide that you can't really get at a, a traditional gym or definitely can't really get access to in the regular army. It's kind of difficult. Mm-hmm. So do all the uh, group support people get access to the uh, Thor as well? Yeah. 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 It's like Redmond, like the yeah. every company. Yeah. The there's a there's a larger again it's a bigger unit. There's a larger <laughs> support element, so uh, you have a lot of people. And the only frustrating thing is they will occasionally block off like fifty percent of all of the squat racks for you know one of the other units training. On it, you know, so like we have three battalions on Fort Carson. If you include the support battalion, uh, and all of them work out at Thor. Granted. Uh, large chunks of the organizations are deployed at any point in time so it's not bad it's just not it's not as you know it's a bigger unit so this might be a sensitive question and we can black your eyes and faces out uh oh i thought i'm already blurry (laughs) (laughs) what uh who's more fit uh group oh dude Well, you know, I, mean, I, I think it's like the, dependent on candid and honest feedback. That's what we learned at the Ranger Regiment. So I guess we can see that when you get to group, that just goes out the window. Here's all. Here's all I'll say about that. The 75th has something that nobody else does, in that they can fire people and kick them out of regiment immediately. 
So I've, you guys, I mean, I don't know about your battalion. You, where were you first? Or mm-hmm. Sub Beach Bat probably doesn't do like the whole standards thing, but <laughs> we, would, <laughs> we would do the five mile standard at, uh, at battalion. You remember those, Bobby? Where, you know, the colonel and the sergeant major would lead the run. Everybody had to pass. And those that failed literally stood in formation in front of us in front of the rest of the guys that passed yeah, like, got called out. Yeah, like shamed. And a lot of those dudes were out of the 75th by the next day. Um, and the reason they can do that is because everybody in the 75th carries an MO, MOS that exists elsewhere. So you can leave the 75th as a rifleman and go be a rifleman in the Army. SF can't do that because if they were to fire people, uh, it would change their MOS. You know, you can't just send a mm-hmm. Green Beret out somewhere else. So that being said, there's more SF. Um then regiment, so that's a disadvantage. And then the you sound like we're an excuse. The now, RFI right? process. I'm just trying to say as nicely as possible <laughs> that I don't know if there's any other unit as fit as the 75th. Thank you. I'll be honest, man. It's I like we've got one honest it's, guy here, it's, Brian. It's impressive, and and the reason I'm I'm down to say it out loud is because I really think that everybody should look at them as the example when it comes to fitness. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's I've never. I can't even explain how like, I try to explain to my guys here. Like you, we had zero overweight people in an entire platoon mm-hmm. and I would argue the whole company, yep. you know, you had in a, in a platoon of roughly 40 dudes, a hundred percent at any, would max the PT test. You know what I mean? Maybe a couple that, that lagged on run cause they're all about gains, but it's impressive what the 75th is able to accomplish in the realm of fitness. And I think it's also a cultural thing. Um, that exists there. Especially if you're at Columbus, there's nothing to do, so you might as well go to the gym three <laughs> yeah, times yeah. a day and be angry. Yeah, we have Atlanta. Actually. Everybody, yeah. Well, we're always getting our wrist slapped for standards, so. Because you guys So we would also set the example. And, and, and he just confirmed it. 3rd Battalion would set the example for fitness amongst the 75th, so. <laughs> we had a, no, okay, so I, real quick before you have to answer that question, yeah. uh, for general fitness, what I, I saw was, like, 3rd was just, like, I mean, like, a- Aiko was called Anabolic A for a reason. I wasn't even in that battalion. <laughs> and we're just like, you know, I-, I knew that, you know, even at first. But first, at least, like, we had to go to the beach, like, yeah, every you, weekend. You guys so have show muscles. We had, to, <laughs> yeah, be, yeah, yeah. We no had to be ready for short shorts, sun's out, quads out. Yeah. And you guys could do PT, like, out in Savannah. <laughs> yeah, we'd go on runs in Savannah. Yeah. We'd go to Tybee. Um, we would never go to 3ID. We'd walk around and get kissed in parades and whatnot. Get kissed in yeah. parades. Oh, my God. Yeah, like... I mean, they adore us, and then you guys just get kicked out of the Cannon Brew Pub because. Yeah, well. Yeah. But we're still we're still on this subject, so. Fit. I mean, I think there's, it's, when we're talking fitness at like a very high level, I think there's, there's guys in each. I mean, there's some of the strongest guys that I know were in third bat, and then I mean, there's, there's Olympians in SF. Yeah. Like currently serving active duty guys that were in the Olympics. Yeah, I do, I do know more so. of more Green Berets that have gone into the NFL post yeah. SF or into the Olympics post SF than I do in the regiment. Seems to be like guys coming to regiment from professional sports here and there. You know, so and, and so since these two have you know answered it honestly, uh, having been stationed at Four ID oh God. Uh, over in Second Brigade, <laughs> which is I think now not a light unit anymore. I've seen group guys take advantage of that downhill two mile from gate six all the way down to the second brigade headquarters. Now, it's about a 250 foot elevation change from gate to finish. 
Uh, so I don't know if that really takes a lot of time off you, but I imagine if you run downhill, you're faster. That's yeah. just, I don't know much about, you know, running downhill, yeah. but we'll have to prove that. Yeah. yeah. I've Take seen, I've seen those bearded individuals out there. Now, again, you know, you guys have a lot of support people that grow the beards out, so yeah. it's hard to determine who's the operator. Yeah. All the over overweight ones are not operators. We'll just... Let's we'll say that. We'll blanket it. Next time you see somebody okay. that you think, yeah. It's so not, if you're not a Carson a, yeah. and you see a fat person with a beard, <laughs> not they're not a pipe no, smoker. No, no, <laughs> no. yeah, it. yeah. There's there's guys of, of, of equal or greater fitness in, in special forces, without a doubt. And I'm, the team that I'm on is, you know, pretty exceptional when it comes to fitness. Um, every one of them. That being said, SF is a much larger organization. Doesn't have the ability to... Um, remove guys that have, you know, kind of just stopped caring. Um, granted, those people don't, don't, they won't make it far just like anywhere else. Those guys that aren't, fitness is the, in my opinion, and most guys' opinion in soft, that's like the number one foundational thing that you can, that, that you can even, you know, bring up. If, if anybody shows up that's not physically fit, that's an automatic assumption that this guy's not as squared away uh, mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally. Um, so... Fitness is like the number one base foundation. You you can always judge somebody off of in soft, or so I think for the most part. Yeah, I love I love how you said that, P. Like that's what we that's what Sean and I preach from like yeah, from day one. We said you know fitness is the number one thing that 100%. you bring to the table, and if that's a, that's the only thing that you really have one of the few things you have control over is your fitness yeah. level and, and your preparation, and then. You know, if you're not taking advantage of maximizing your fitness potential, then you know, are you gonna maximize your potential in your job? I had a, there was an LPD, I don't know if you went to it, um, but it was when I was at BAT, uh, General Miller was the uh, MCOE commander, and he did a, an LPD on Mogadishu while we were there, okay. and the one thing I really took away from it um, was he was kind of pointing his finger at the captains in MCCC, but he talked about when he was in Mogadishu, seeing his guys get shot in the back, because they had a hard time jumping over a wall, um, and he, he tied that into fitness, he's like, physical fitness means so much in a combat setting, um, and then uh, personal experience I've had in combat, um, I've seen where fitness keeps dudes alive um, in a very big way. I've seen where having the ability to run with kid on uh, matters more than I could ever explain. Uh, so fitness is very near and dear to my heart when it comes to applicability. And I love it when guys say, you'll never run in combat. Because um, real world, like I've been there. Brian knows what I'm talking about. Um, you, you know, you guys probably know what I'm talking about. But uh, it matters more than than anything else when it comes to foundation, um, in my opinion. Well, it's incredible, too, yeah. because in Afghanistan, you can go from anywhere on missions that are like like three to 4,000 feet and then all the way up to, to 9,500 to 10,000. Yeah. In like in like a split second. You, yep. could be, you could be at Bath and you fly to any part of the country, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden now your fitness is exponentially more important because you're, you're breathing, you're sucking on yeah. air, and then when you are in combat, it's like – and then just to get there, if you're doing like an offset – I mean, you, you might be walking 10 to 20K before you even get to yeah, the objective man. to fight for the rest of the night. So yeah. we talk about it all the time. But fit, I think fitness, if you are so fit that you really don't have to worry about that when it comes, like, time to be tested and you just focus on those, like, ranger and soldier tasks, it makes those instances way less stressful yeah. and easier to manage. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. But just kind of tying it all back in. They're both the, – the use of socks as a whole, at least when it comes to regiment and SF, are fit organizations – um, expect if you want to go to either to be competing against some of the most fit guys you'll you'll ever meet in your life. I do it every day. Like all four of you, or three of you guys, I'm, I constantly am following what you're doing. I'm like, oh, dude, now I got to squat more. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, you're always competing with those around you. And 
in, in a good way. Uh, but expect if you're coming to soft to be in the best shape of your life um, with the intent to get in, in better shape. And real quick while we're on that, if, if you guys don't mind, talk about like generally, you know, because people are asking us like where our fitness was when we went to ranger school, rafts, yeah. uh, like how many push-ups are you doing in two minutes and sit-ups? Uh, what's your standard like two mile, five mile time sure. when you were going to these schools and then now what are you maintaining? Okay. Yeah, Brian, you go first. He's the real and he's fast as fuck. So <laughs> Brian's like, yeah, don't man, feel bad I'm, about yourself. I just, we all had to know, compete against him. I don't know. <laughs> push-ups. I, like you're talking like APFT. Yeah. We'd let's ballpark ninety, maybe a hundred and ten sit-ups. Okay, I, I thought you were going with. 190 push-ups, maybe 100. And I was like, whoa, whoa, dude. No, no I don't no know. No way, like, bro. Yeah, maybe that, like, that, it, it, push-ups are one of those, like, yeah. how you feel when you wake up that morning kind of feel. Let, hey, let's hear the make, run, though. Let's, let's, yeah. let's just get this out here. He's a jackrabbit. <laughs> I don't know. So I think before RASP 2, I could, I was, I run like a 10... 30. <laughs> oh my god, god. damn. God, dude. Uh, and then maybe like a, I think my fastest five mile was like 20, high 28, maybe low 29. Oh, That's what I was talking about, dude. This five is the people, I, you know, yeah. I work with this guy. I was in the same company as him in battalion, and now we're in the same group, and that's my competition. So not running that at Definitely 6, not getting hammered feet, later. But, uh, so fast. And, and what was your, your, uh, your RPAT time. Oh, man, that's hard. Are you like I, 21, 22? Yeah, probably. That's three miles of kit running and then like a whole bunch of like other like, like other stupid stuff that, yeah. you know, you get tested on climbing some walls and ropes. Which I, yeah. I think the RPAT is probably one of the best physical fitness tests, functional physical fitness tests there is. Yes. There's not many more workouts where after it you are like, I'm like just gassed laying on the ground. Um, gasping for air. Yeah. Um, and that's at sea level. I can't, I haven't done one. I don't know if you've done one here in Colorado. No, dude, these, yeah, no. I, I tried running uh, with Kit a couple times. Um, I tried to set up some stuff for PT, like in the field, I would do it. But yeah, like for, when I was going to RASP, uh, my five mile was like a 33 to a 34. I was doing like 80 to 85 push ups, 90, 95 sit ups, and my two mile was like a 12, 30. Um, and then I just kind of maintained like my five mile around 35 as I, as I aged, uh, as a junior captain. That's a, that's the standards I have for myself. So your best times you just mentioned were kind of where I was like my best five miles, pretty close to 30 minutes. Um, I've, but when it comes to my personal standards, where I like to keep it is 80 pushups minimum. Um, I'm typically in the high nineties, almost to hundred when it comes to sit-ups. And then I try to keep my two mile run under 1230. Uh, five mile is you know flirting with thirty five. I'm you know I've been running a lot lately, so it's probably a little better than that. But that's kind of where I baseline myself, and it just fluctuates based off what I've been doing. There's been uh, training events where obviously that'll deplete a lot um, based off your lack of food and ability to work out. Um, but if I was to set standards for myself, that's pretty much where I am. Um, I always struggle with push ups, man, because I have such long arms. So I I have to do push ups like every single day to maintain yep. the ability to max. Uh, so. I mean, you I can't just, just wake it. up and do push-ups. Like, yeah. you have to practice that. And in fair, the fairness, I don't know what the scores are anymore. I just know that 80 is a max. You know what yeah. I mean? So I don't know what the numbers are. But on the RPAT, man, I wish that the combat arms would have gone to that instead of the ACFT. 
Yeah, like, the you know ACFT I mean? crushes guys. Though. It's, like, it, each, it's if tough, you did yeah. each individual event like alone, yeah, it looks like a joke. But like guys here, they're they're two mile times a minute and a half slower. Easy, dude. Um, yeah, easily. Not only at elevation, but then after they do that, the the compound movements. But Bobby, where where were you at? So I think I'm the outlier in the uh, in the group in terms of my physical fitness. I think when I went to RASP two, I will say that as an excuse, I graduated from Ranger School like four months before I went to RASP two. <laughs> so I will say that as, as an excuse, but yeah. I still met the, yeah, I still met Ranger lighter. standards. <laughs> oh yeah, I think it was like a 37 or a 38 five mile like max push on the sit ups. Uh, but like right now, but like after that, you know, I try to keep myself like Pete said about like 80 push ups, 80 to 90 sit ups and around 1232 mile. Um, usually where I could keep myself and around like 35, five miles about like where I like to keep myself too. Yeah. I think, That's I think on top of like everything else that, you know, that we do. A 35 minute five mile is, is fantastic. Like it's like, it's not too slow. It's not too fast. Yeah. It's like one of those comfortable things that like, once you get used to it, um, it's one of the reasons why like Cronus, like we get to you know, playing a lot of the runs is usually around a 10 K, mm-hmm. um, progression. Um, and then, you know, like how has, you know, on the, on the final note on fitness, how has weightlifting contributed to your overall fitness? Do you think it is like, it takes away from your ability to perform combat operations or do you think to an extent that it like really uh, elevates your ability to perform under pressure? Oh man, I'm, I've go back to what I previously said. I think it absolutely adds to your ability to perform under pressure. Um, I had a hard time for a while where when I would work on squatting, it would slow my rundown because I'd get so sore. Uh, but really utilizing a program, like I've, I've done your guys' program uh, more than once, uh, the functional fitness. And when you actually factor in programming, like you can absolutely get stronger and maintain the speed. I'm way stronger than I was when I was in regiment right now, and I'm just as fast, if not faster, mm-hmm. at elevation too. So, um, you know, it's one of those things I think always develop your functionality. Like, And I think strength is a big part of it. Um, I've, you know, I've had to carry, help carry litters in combat with kid on in the desert at seven, like, what was it? Six, 7,000 feet. Yeah. Um, and being able to lift matters when, when things like that happen. Um, yeah, that's really, I mean, yeah, no, I agree. I, I enjoy lifting now too. I mean, yeah. Sean and I just did a quick lift sesh before this. Um, and I think it's super important. Um, yeah, just building that strong chassis. Um, and then, uh. <laughs> And then going from there. Yeah. There are times like preparing when you're preparing for selection or um, you know, ruck based selections, I do think there's advantages to putting a lot more emphasis on getting miles under your feet, mm. uh, which inherently will will take away from your ability to lift, get stronger. Uh, but once you once you get past those things, you'll see in the community everybody's doing both. Everybody's doing cardio, running, lifting. Um, it's the full package that, that really makes a difference. Oh my God, we get that question all the time for guys that want to go. So you've heard it here. Like they want to go to SFAS, they want to go to Ranger School, and they're asking us about like what lifting they should, mm-hmm. you know, should be doing. We're like, running. Don't like do some, but like it should be really focused on yeah. miles, getting your feet, you know, nice and accustomed to the boots yeah, and yeah. your shoes. Um, and then, you know, once you guys get tabs, like, then you can start getting jacked and strong. Like, yeah. You know, before that, it doesn't mean anything. No, nobody and nobody judges you. I think it's a common misconception that guys are trying to get enormous before they show up to soft, but nobody judges you on your physicality uh, when you've just come out of like a ranger school selection, the pipeline, whatever. Um, it's what you do after you show up. There's a term that goes around in our community, at least, is that you're, you're always being assessed. Uh, they'll say that at selection all the time, like, hey, just because you pass selection doesn't mean you're, you're not always being assessed. And it's what you do after when it comes to physicality that, that makes a difference. That's your time to get 
um, stronger, uh, lift more, whatever, whatever your goals are. But overall, if you're training for a selection or a ruck base selection, you know, it's, it's going to be a huge advantage to put miles on your feet. Awesome. Yeah. You got to train for the task. So let's, uh, start wrapping it up. So with the last, with the last couples and comments, if you guys just one last thing, if you guys could go back, I'm talking to Brian and Pete, uh, go back in time to your, uh, I guess, second lieutenant selves. What would you tell yourselves? One piece of advice. Oh man. <laughs> oh, man. Don't be so weird, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For me, it, like, um, I told you earlier that I'd, I'd learned what I learned about physical fitness at, at Battalion. Um, I wish I would have pursued more knowledge on that earlier on. I think it makes a difference from day one. Um, confidence is, is a huge part of what we do. Uh, if you lack confidence, if, you, if you're scared to speak in front of people, or you're nervous when you're talking to NCOs, target that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm extremely extroverted, so it's, it wasn't like a challenge for me. But second lieutenant me, I'd say confidence is everything. Um, as much as I hate to say it, read LPD type stuff. <laughs> I never read anything, you know. I was like, when I got to my unit, I, I'd reached like where I wanted to be. But um, professional military development and education is important. Um, physicality is important. And then confidence. Um, and then the last thing is just do everything you can to be good at your job wherever you end up if you get if you get a, a shitty job or a shitty commander uh be good at your job uh and then the focus should always be on the guys that work for you as a leader uh those are the ones that really matter and the best officers this is the last thing i'll say the best officers uh in my personal opinion that serve in the military that make it uh, are the ones that don't care about themselves they don't care about their oers they don't care about where they end up next they just care about their job and being a good dude uh inherently that means taking care of their people those are the ones that always outshine everybody else is the ones that seem to have this kind of like fuck it mentality, but in turn they care more about their people than they do themselves. Yeah, the whole Lieutenant Aldo Rain. I've been chewed out before. <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. Yeah, I mean, I think going back to Second Lieutenant Me, I really was terrible at really understanding the doctrine or like I didn't, if you would have asked me what FMs were, I probably could have named off one when I was a Second Lieutenant. Um, so I mean I think getting better at that I was pretty far behind and I had to really do some extra reading to kind of um, get up to speed on that but other than that I mean yeah I. it's hard to kind of pinpoint one thing maybe working on my CrossFit Metcon so I could have beat Bobby in that yeah, so like squatting more start squatting yeah. early yeah. <laughs> after you get your tab yeah <laughs> Well, I guess that, we'll wrap that up with that. We appreciate it, guys. You guys have been, it was Absolutely. a great episode. Yeah, I think I, everyone that's, that's listening is going to get a lot out of it. Not only just from like a kind of a intro to SF, but just a, you know, mentality approach. Because uh, I think, I know, I know, speaking for myself, at least, I know I like what you guys have said about kind of your mentality and your advice is just like the same shit that I like espouse. The same, the sh- same stuff that Sean and I espouse to our listeners about, you know, about leadership, about being a good dude, about being Rit. physically fit. Yeah. It's like, it, it, we're not lying when we say this shit. Like yeah. it comes from you know no. experience. And I, we, I mean, I appreciate what you guys are doing for the the community. I've seen dudes in Benning with your shirts on, and I saw a dude not long ago in the tenth group gym with a Cronus Fit T-shirt. Um, he needed to be stronger, I will say. But <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate what you guys are doing for the community, man. I, I follow your programs too, dude. So you guys are killing it. All right. Well, we appreciate it, guys. Like, like I said, we really appreciate you guys having coming on. Uh, I, I'll see you guys hopefully uh, next month or so when I make my drive out to Washington. 
We can yeah. definitely meet up and uh, get some yeah, slim, cool. get some yeah. uh, fitness on. You're about to become essential personnel, dude. <laughs> I know. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, guys, we will catch you guys later. Until next time, we'll see you later. Peace. Bye. See you later.